0: We've been talking over the last month or so about what I call—and I didn't originate this term—the upside-down kingdom. What we mean by that is the world that you and I live in, the natural world, this world that that that, um, that we consider normal and routine, really is a is a is a is an artificial world in the sense that it was not here originally. The, the world or the realm of existence that was here first, that everything's based on, is a spirit realm. And that's what's real. Everything that exists in this realm, everything you can see, feel, touch, the car you came in, basically what you consider your life, or most people consider life, came out of that spirit realm. God birthed it. He was the creator of this realm. And that's what it means in Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning. It's the beginning of this realm of existence where God spoke it into existence and God intended for this realm to be a reflection of his realm of heaven and so he created a man and a woman so he could pour out his love and his blessing upon them and he created a place among this creation called Eden where God, which means place of delight it was called the Garden of Eden. And God placed the man there, gave him responsibility. Again, the man is the man and the woman. Gave them the responsibility for it. And everything that was there was designed to function along with them and help them to carry out their responsibilities. At that point, they had no consciousness of themselves. They were so caught up in who God is and be lost in who He is and His majesty and His glory, kind of like that song we sang today about, about how great thou art. It just stirs me down inside. Some of those old hymns, you know the men and women that wrote them knew God and they had seen God and they may sound a little, you know, old-fashioned to us but the spirit in the heart of them is the heart of God and they were caught up in who God, who you are. All things were made by you and created by you. Look how wonderful and majestic and all-powerful you are. And, and, and that's what this first man and woman were caught up in to the point that they, the Bible says at the end of chapter 2, they were both naked and were not ashamed. They didn't even realize that they didn't have clothes on. Chapter 3, Satan comes on the scene. And his whole focus, his whole effort is to get them to take their eyes and their focus off of God and who He is and begin to look at themselves and who they are and what they have and what they don't have. And the moment they do that, they separate from God and they, they end up afraid and ashamed and hiding. Now, here's We've mentioned this before, but isn't it interesting? That's not what He promised them. What He promised them was God has something for you He's holding back. And if you'll just listen to me... I'll get for you what God's holding back. Amen. Yes, sir. Thank you. So, young people, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. all the pressure in the world is out there saying, "Look, do what you want to do, have the fun you want to have." Oh, that 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 a license to get married? That's just old fashioned. What's a, what's a piece of paper? If we love each other, we're attracted to each other, let's just go act like married people and do what married people do without the formality of going through that. In other words, those requirements that God has that you enter into a blood covenant with each other, that's just something God's trying to keep fun back from you. And here we see the lesson, because Satan is a deceiver. We see the lesson because Jesus says about him, he comes only to steal, kill and destroy. And so we see here, He comes to them to say, God's holding something back from you. There's fun, there's pleasure, there's, there's things you can know, and God's keeping it from you. If you'll just listen to me, I'll give you the things that God's holding back from you. Well, God was holding something back from them. He was holding something back from them they couldn't handle, and it was going to hurt them. And so, but the reality is once, and there's a great example for us, once they listened to that voice, where did they end up? Did they end up with what he promised them? Did they end up with some great pleasure and some great privilege that they didn't have under, in God's kingdom? No. They ended up afraid, ashamed. Everything else that's in this world came in through That sickness, disease, everything evil came through setting up their own way as apart from God's way. We saw that in the kingdom of God, His kingdom operates on principles. Rules. We don't like rules. We like to have be our own rule, but, but, but we all need rules. Rules are, are our protection. That's what tells you where the boundary is between what I can handle and what I can't handle. And so God puts those rules in, our, in the kingdom as a way to bless us and protect us. And they're how He operates. He doesn't have us doing something he doesn't do. And then what happened is Satan comes in and takes those principles. I'm really hamstrung up here because I'm used to going back and forth. (laughs) Takes those principles and he perverts them. He turns them upside down and you and I were born into a kingdom that operates by those upside-down rules, but we're so used to it, we're so indoctrinated with it, everybody else around us operates by them. We consider them normal. So we look at God's principles and think they're weird, they're strange, they're requiring things of me that make me uncomfortable. But they're what is the truth. There's is normal. They're what are prospers you. They're what are blesses you. That's how God operates. The perverted principles of the Lord. Well, just look at your newspaper this morning. Just turn on the news, you'll see what those perverted principles are doing. All the knowledge, all the wisdom, all the things that we've exalted. And is life better today? Oh yeah, we carry phones around, you have instant access to almost anything. But has that really made your life better? It may make some things more convenient. But is your life more peaceful now than the life of 50 years ago, 60 years ago? Is there less violence today than there was 50, 60 years ago? Can we be more confident of what's going to happen than there was 50, 60 years? So all this increased knowledge hasn't brought us any more peace, any more safety, any more more security, but where things are more convenient and they're more easily reached. So that's what we've been looking at. And then we began to go through some of these principles. We looked at the principle, first of all, that in the world's system that we've been trained to operate in, that success means you get to the top. If you really don't get to the top, then you're not ultimately success. And the problem is in order to get to the top, you've got to climb over people and get them out of the top position. And all your way up, you've got to be moving people aside. So the the image that the world has is that success is at the top of the heap. And the problem is the, there's always pressure to compete with other people and keep them out of your way or get them out of the way in front of you. So it creates a a competition. There's nothing wrong with competing with one another unless it's at the expense of somebody else. We saw that Jesus trying to deal with his disciples said the kingdom of God doesn't operate on those principles because that's what they were doing. They were operating under this perverted principle because they were jockeying for position even among his staff. In the kingdom of God John and, and J- James' his mother comes to him and says you know can one of my boys be on the right hand and one on the left? Can they be number one and number two? And Jesus' answer is, first of all, it's not mine to give. Secondly, He says, are they able to drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? In other words, are they willing to take on the responsibility that goes with that authority? Because understand that authority is only given by God to carry out responsibility. So you never get from God authority without having already been given responsibility. And so, so, and they said, oh yes, we can do it, and having no clue what it meant. Because when the first test came, pff, they failed. They ran home to mama. And then Jesus explains, in the kingdom of God, it doesn't operate that way. The kingdom of God, if you want to be first in the kingdom of God, you go to the bottom to serve. And Jesus was the greatest example of that because when he went to the bottom to serve and he really, really went to the bottom not just a low man on the totem pole in the earth he literally descended into hell but in Philippians it says in chapter 2 therefore God has highly exalted him say so if you humble yourself and serve to become obedient whatever that may mean obedience to God maybe he puts you at a high position in the world's eyes but in the kingdom of God it's the attitude of service God will highly exalt you. I've tasted in my life what it's like to exalt myself because then you've got to keep yourself there. And there's no peace. And I've tasted what it's like for God to exalt me. It's the sweetest thing in the world because you know God puts you there. And your focus isn't on the position. It's on the God who puts you there. Then we looked at the second position, principle, which is, is the, that in the world, we, we think that the goal of growing up and maturing is to become more and more sophisticated, which has to do with how people see us. And we saw in the kingdom of God, in order even to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to become like a child. And that childlikeness is a humility, it's a freedom, it's an openness without pretense before God and before one another. It's not childishness, it's childlikeness. Who remembers what the next one was? because I forgot. <laughs> oh, yes, when things go wrong, what do we do? In the world system, which is a perversion, well, if things are going bad, we have every right to complain, feel sorry for ourselves, get other people to join our pity party, send out invitations, we have every, every right to do that. And if you're going to be one of these people who just praises God in the midst of trouble, then there's something wrong with you, because what's normal is you feel sorry for yourself, you complain. What we saw in the kingdom of God, it's built on praising God no matter what's happening. Yeah. We saw in First Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, In all things, rejoice. Rejoice, always. In all things, give thanks unto God. Not for all things, in all things. In all things. Anybody remember what the next one was? Seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. That's where we ended up last time. Because in the world's concept is you only believe things that you see. And we saw Thomas' type of faith which the other disciples had also, which He said, I will not believe unless I see. Notice He didn't say, I cannot believe. He said, I will not believe unless I see. We discovered that believing is an act of your will. You choose what you'll believe. Circumstances can influence it and what you think and what you meditate on and what you talk about and what you think about, they'll influence that choice. But ultimately, it's a choice you make to believe. Otherwise, God could not hold us accountable for believing and still be a just God if some of us just well I just can't believe then God's not fair to hold us accountable because that's how you get into the kingdom of God is by believing in Jesus Christ and if I can't do that then it's not fair I would be excluded because of something I can't do therefore we have to all be capable of believing and so and I had some other scriptures in there but we're not gonna take the time to go there so we're gonna look at the next the next principle and the next principle is this, that in order, in order of priority, of what I'm going to be most concerned about, it starts with numero uno, me. If I don't look out for myself, who's going to look out for me? The world is centered around this. This is really the essence of what Lucifer did when he rebelled against God in heaven. Imagine that. Imagine, and it's hard for us to do this. I mean, he had it set. His assignment as an angel is to cover around the throne of God. The little indications we have is he was God's most beautiful creation. Now, the son was not a creation. He was begotten out of him. But Lucifer was a creation. He was the most beautiful of God's angels creation. He had an exalted position. I mean, you can't have it any better than that. And yet, somewhere along the line, he began to take his eyes off of the God he was there to worship and begin to get his eyes on his own beauty. And that's where the trouble came in. And the moment he did that, when he did that, he began to, to, to have this desire rise in his heart to establish himself. When he began to look at himself, he began to... Th- believe that God was not giving him something that by his beauty he was entitled to. Isn't that the same thing he tried to sell Eve? See, what he brought into the garden was the very same thing he did. And what he's trying to do in your life is exactly the same. He has nothing new. Why do we miss it then? So here he has this. He's set and he blows it. So the next time he's talking to you, remind him he's not so smart. Why should I listen to you? Look what you had and look where you are now and look where you're headed. I've read the end of the book. I cheated. I looked at the end. He loses. And so it all began by looking out for himself. Numero uno. And so the core, essence of each of these perversions is ultimately taking care of myself, taking care of number one so the perverted principle that we're all, is instinctive to us well it's the right of self-preservation but that's not in the kingdom of God so although it's natural to the world And it's inbred in our thinking and it's inbred in the way we were raised. It's not not the principle by which the kingdom of God operates on. Not the principle of self-preservation because the kingdom of God operates on the principle that God will preserve you. See, self-preservation says I can handle it better than God. So let's turn with me now to Matthew chapter 6 and we'll look at we're going to look at the principle by which the kingdom of God operates. I don't know about you, but I'm finding that. Um oh, you know what? I got my notes in here. I'm finding that the. um, There we go. Matthew 6. The more I think about these principles, the more I meditate on these principles, the more I see them in my world around me, the more I catch them in my thinking. I I can't get across to you how saturated our mind is with these things. I can't get across to you how much it's embedded, which is why we're going to, in the beginning of next year, not exactly the first few weeks, but I'm going to begin probably in February teaching the course I used to do in school of ministry on renewing your mind. Because we've got to renew our mind to God's principles and away from our principles. But it's just, I'm open, I'm seeing, my goodness, I'm thinking that way even to the point that we're, last night at dinner we were talking about with our family about some of the economic principles that which our nation's founded on. They're ultimately principles that are not godly principles. The operation may be, but the underlying principle is not. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get to that discussion. Did you find Matthew chapter 6? All right. And here's why this is so important. Verse 19. It's interesting because in the Sermon on the Mount are a number of these principles where he's saying, this is what you've been taught, but this is what the kingdom of God is like. All right. I'm going to read on down through... um, Well, I'm just going to read on down. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal. So he's talking about the treasures of our life. What you treasure, what's valuable to you. It's not just money, that may be one. It's whatever is valuable to you, to your heart. Whatever you've invested your heart in. I explained to my children growing up that when you get to that age where you get interested in the opposite sex and you get of an age where it's okay to be interested in them and you begin to look around, you know, you know who might I consider, you know, as a potential life mate that God might have for me, be aware of this, that there comes a point where you choose to give your heart to somebody. It's an act of your will. It may happen quickly. You may not be conscious that you're doing it. But the moment you give your heart to her, your brain goes out the window. So make sure before you give your heart, your brain has been engaged and you've decided, this is somebody that I believe God's put in my life for the rest of my life. And then give your heart. So your heart, your treasure is not just things. It may be things but it may be relationships, it may be your spouse, it may be your children, it may be your friends, it may be your work, something that's become a treasure to your heart, so when we're reading this, don't just think about money, now we're talking about the principle of who's first in your heart, because in the world's principle, I am, everything else comes next. But i got to be taken care of first. If I know I'm taken care of, then I can begin to look out for other people's needs and other things. You will find this will be good marriage counseling right in here. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves neither break in and steal. Look at this. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. God doesn't care about you having things. God doesn't care about you having relationships, things that are valuable and that you treasure. God doesn't want you, doesn't, doesn't against you having things that are important to you. What, he's, what God's after is your heart. What God's after is your heart. All right, now keep something here and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because here's the principle that underlies this. Now again, we see God as this big, all-powerful being that creates, can, created everything, can do whatever he wants to do, and therefore he has no emotion. Therefore, he is just—he is—he is—he uh, is just like a well, He's like a big stone being. But that's what they used to make in worship. But if you read through your Bible, you'll find there are all kinds of, of, of adjectives and verbs that refer to God, at, who has a soul and a. He made us in His image. That doesn't necessarily mean he has hands and feet and ears and eyes. He may. But what it does mean is he has a personality. He didn't give you a personality and a, and a passion and a heart and then he doesn't have one. He didn't give you emotions and he doesn't have them. In fact, your emotions are a reflection of his because you have them as an indication he has them. He can feel more deeply than you can feel. And I say that because we've got to understand as God's talking to us here about what our heart is given towards, we've got to understand what His heart's given towards. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 5. Here we go. Now He's just given the Ten Commandments. Ten instructions written in stone. And he's basically saying that if you will obey these commandments, then you will be blessed. And you will go into a land that's flowing with milk and honey. In chapter 7, he reviews these and says that if you will do these things, then I'll remove sickness from your midst. But here he boils it down, makes it so simple for us. Here's what it boils down to, verse 5. Well, let's go to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That commandment, that call, occurs ten times in the book of Deuteronomy alone. In Matthew 22, verse 37, and then Luke has an account of this also. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus... And says, what do I do to need to inherit salvation? And he says, you need to keep, the, he says, I've kept the commandments from the, mind. he says, well, here's what you, the word says you should do. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, well, what do I lack? He says, go sell your goods and come and follow me. And the rich young ruler looked at him and walked sorrowfully away. Does that mean we all have to give up all our goods in order to follow him? No, he identified that that rich young ruler's heart was invested in his goods. So what he went after is what was in that rich young ruler's heart that was above him. Because whatever's in your heart that's above God is between God and you. comes back to the garden. There was nothing between them. What did Satan try to do? He tried to enter things in their heart, sow things in their heart that would become more important to them in their heart above their God and their Creator. I mean, if you want to get a picture of the mercy of God, why He hasn't fried us all into grease piles... The more I get to see this, and the clearer it is, the more I see my arrogance. And I'm not, I don't think, I've got family here, I better not look over. I don't think I'm what people would think is an arrogant person, but I'm beginning to see towards God I've had an arrogance. That I have my rights, I I, I have nothing that He hasn't given me. Literally my own breath to praise Him. We're going to talk about this later, but when David's raising the offering to build the temple to God, his heart his heart was, God, I have a beautiful house that you've given to me. And all you're worshipped in is a tent right now. I want to build something that's appropriate for you. And so I want to receive an offering to do that. And the people's hearts was touched by that. And they poured in more than he even needed. And God said, I'm sorry, but because there's blood on your hands, because you're a man of war, I can't have you build it. But that will be a task given to your son Solomon. And David's prayer, and we'll get to this down the road, David's prayer to God was, God, who am I? I was just a shepherd boy. Watch The least in my father's household. And you picked me up and you exalted me. And you made me king of all of this. Who am I that you would do that for? And then God, this offering that we have to give to you. My God, even what we're bringing to you, you gave us. <laughs> we don't have anything to bring to you. You haven't already given to us. That was David's heart. Or just God. But God said about him when he chose him, to replace Saul, to Samuel he said, I'm going to show you to a man who's after my own heart. That doesn't mean he's just a reflection of God's heart. What he's after in God is God's heart. Last week, I can't do it because we don't have the Last week I told you about the doors going down the hallway. We have the door of healing, God's blessing here, God's blessing over here of provision. But the ultimate door is the door that is to the end where it's God himself. And what part of God is it? It's his heart. That's what David was after. And God blessed him with all these wonderful things, but it didn't move his heart because his heart was set. Even when he sinned. See, one of the ways you know where your heart's set is what do you do when you've blown it? Saul repented. Solomon later repented and David sinned. They all three sinned and repented. But Saul's reaction was God forgive me but don't embarrass me in front of the people. David's reaction as soon as he hears it I've sinned against my God. I've offended I didn't care what the people thought. He cared what his God thought because he'd hurt his God's heart. And this is a God who called this people out of nobody. Chose a man, Abraham, who, who worshipped the moon. And said, I'm going to make a people for myself. Out of all the people of the world, I'm going to make a people who are for myself. Who will have a relationship with me like no other people. And it will be an example, a testimony to the rest of the world of what I'm like through the relationship they have with me. So he started with one man. And one woman. And God ordained that that first child would come by trusting Him and no other way. And when, the, when they trusted Him and Isaac was born, God entered into a covenant with Abraham. Then He entered again with Isaac. Then He entered again with, with Jacob. And then with the twelve tribes that came out of Him. All this came out of Him. And all God ever wanted was them to love Him. All God ever wanted from them was to be first in their heart. says in Psalm, what is it, 1, I think it's one ten. Oh, he says, oh, that they would have listened to me. Oh, that they would have listened to me. I would have poured honey out of them and the richest of food out on them. But they wouldn't listen to me. They were always chasing after what the world chased after. Chasing after idols the rules that he set up for them were to protect them from themselves because he knew he knew that if he didn't have those rules for them they would chase after what the rest of the world was chasing after when they came out of Egypt the Bible says there was a short route to the promised land there was only like a couple of weeks the most but God knew his people I can't take them that way there's an easy route There's a short route but I can't take them on that route because I know them because they're going to run into the Philistines when they see the Philistines. They're going to become afraid of them and run back into Egypt. So I got to take them around by the hard way through the wilderness. Not what He wanted. How many times have we forced God to take us the hard way because He knew us and He knew that if He let us go the easy way, the easy way would catch our heart and we would run after things other than Him. All He wants is you to love Him. He loves you so much. He's poured everything out on you and me. He poured everything out on His people. He said, I'll do... I'm your God. He didn't say that to any other people. He was God to other people but He belonged to them as their God. I am your God. I belong to you, and you are my people. There are several places in there where he refers to them as being married to them. It's a covenant relationship that he had with them, and they were constantly breaking it, especially with their heart. That's where it began in the heart. And so, all he's saying, all I want you to do is to love me with all your heart and all your strength and all your soul. Love me first. Now go back to Matthew chapter 6. See, these are not just rules God's setting down. These are principles by which He can bless us and take care of us. So I'll read these verses again. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. God doesn't care about the treasure. He cares about your heart. But He knows us well enough to know that whatever is our treasure, our heart is connected to that. Just like that rich young ruler, his treasure was in the multitude of things that he had. So that Jesus went after the things not because He was trying to keep Him from being blessed but because He was trying to bless Him. And our human nature is we'll settle for what's in the rooms and not go to Him that's at the end. When you have Him, you have everything. When you just have the things ultimately you get bored with Him. He's the only one thing that satisfies because you and I were made you and I were made to run on a relationship with him. Just like your car was made to run on gasoline or whatever the mixture is now. Some cars were made to run on diesel. Now we've got cars that are made to run on gasoline or electric. But the point is the manufacturer designed it to run on something and on that it will run better than on anything else. In theory because your engine, if it's a normal engine, will run on anything that will combust or burn. So in theory, your engine could run on peanut butter, but I would strongly suggest you not put it in there, because it was not designed. It runs best on gasoline. You run, only way you run efficiently, the only way you run properly, is on a relationship with Him. Anything else that's in place of that, you don't run as well on. In fact, you don't run well at all. That's what Jesus is trying to teach them. Now notice what He goes into, because if first blush, it looks as if these are unrelated. Remember, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. The lamp of the body is the eye. We talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night. Therefore, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, wait a minute. What does that mean? He's still talking about the same thing. Notice what he's saying here. He's talking about where your treasure is is where your heart is. So he's talking about your heart. And what he's talking about is what your heart is seeking after. The lamp of the body is the eye. So what he's saying, what that means is he's now going to use something we can understand, which is our physical body. And he says, the only way light illuminates your body, gets inside your mind, so that you can see what's around you is through your eyes. Your ears don't they hear what's around you, but they can't see anything. The only, the only avenue opening in your body by which light comes in that it has any meaning to you at all is through the opening in your eyeball, your pupil. And so he says, if your, if your eye is good, then the light that comes in is good. See how he expresses it exactly. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? That's what opened my eyes to this. I said, how can light be in in me be darkness? And then I saw it. In the same way, because when it says, if your eye is evil or your eye is good, that word means healthy or diseased. So if your eye is healthy, if it's clear, oh, if there's nothing between the light and my retina, then the light that comes in is true light, and I can trust what I see. But it, So it's, the light is good, but if on the other hand, my eye is cloudy, it has a deformity, it has cataracts, or some cloudiness, or something, it has something between the source of the light and my retina, something in the way, that although light is coming in, it's not clear light, and I can't trust what I'm seeing. That's why many of you are wearing glasses. That's why they've now... It's wonderful they've got cataract surgery because cataracts are a cloudiness that begins to form within the, somewhere in, your, in that pupil area that begins to cause the light to not be accurate. But they can go in now, open that up, take the cataract out and, and, and remove, remove whatever's between your retina and the source of light. Now he wants to bring it over to the eye of our, bo- eye of our soul of our spirit which is not the physical eye it's your heart that's why Proverbs 16 says Proverbs 4 says guard your heart guard your heart guard your heart with all diligence why? for out of it flow the issues or the forthcomings of life Satan is constantly trying to sow into your heart his principles so that we can't see clearly when it comes to spiritual things. You know we're in a war. And it's not fought with bullets. It's fought with thoughts, ideas, and it's a spiritual battle. So let's see how he draws this out. So that's... He's now talking about what our heart is seeking. No one can serve two masters. Notice you're going to... Notice he doesn't say a third option is you don't serve anybody. You don't have that option. You're either serving God in the kingdom of God or you're serving Satan in his kingdom and you can be a Christian serving Satan. How? By operating in his principles and spreading his principles that's serving him you cannot not it's hard not if I try hard I can you cannot, God says you cannot serve two masters for either you will hate the one and love the other or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other so you don't have an option of serving, think, oh I'm serving both of them I'm serving God a little bit, I'm serving. no you're serving one or the other it's all or nothing, you're either serving one or you're serving the other, it doesn't mean you're perfect but your heart is committed to one and the other. I learned, when I was in, in high school, I was in a school that required, I don't know what it required today. day, I was in a, in a uh, last two years of school, high school, was in a private school that required everybody to participate in sports in some manner. And I really enjoyed basketball. Unfortunately, my in, innate skills didn't allow me to compete enough to play on the varsity team. So, I decided I want to be around the varsity team, so I became the manager. Now, in baseball, the manager is the guy that makes all the decisions, and basketball is the guy that picks up the dirty towels. So, I became the dirty towel picker upper. It was preparing me for being a pastor. And I say that because I would sit in on the practices. And this is high school, so you're teaching these guys the basic things. And I still remember one day, maybe the only reason I went to the school was for this example, but it's changed my life. And and what I saw was he was trying to teach them defense. And he said, if you've got a guy coming down the ball court with the basketball, dribbling it, who is very clever, what he's going to try to do is get you out of his way. Well, he can't hit you and move you out of the way. That's a foul. So he's got to trick you into thinking he's going one place when in reality he's going somewhere else. Isn't that what the devil wants to do with us? And so he said, and some of those guys out there are very clever at this. So as they'll come down, they'll throw their head over here, but in reality, they're prepared to go this way. Now these guys some days, they can spin around and do all kinds of fancy things that these guys weren't anywhere near capable of doing. But it wouldn't matter because the principle I'm going to teach is still the same. He said, they'll fake with their hands, they'll fake with their head, they can fake with their feet. He says there's only but there's one part of them they can't fake with. Their center of gravity. Their belly. He says because they can't send their center of gravity here and try to go there or they'll fall down. So don't pay attention to their eyes or their head or their hands or their feet. You keep your eye on their belly because where their belly goes that's where they're gonna go and Jesus is teaching the same principle where your heart goes is where you're gonna go you can have all the good intentions you can have all the good sayings you can even do all kinds of good deeds but it's where your heart goes just look at Israel they said all kinds of things oh we'll serve you we'll do what you say to do and turned around and didn't do it why? because their heart wasn't with him their heart was still back in Egypt even though they wanted to get out of Egypt so that's what he's talking about here now he's going to get down he's going to get down to something very practical so we can bring this down to where we live so he says you cannot serve God and mammon that means things but why you can't serve things is because if you're serving them your heart goes to them now look at this, verse 25. Therefore, I've taught you before, whenever you see the word therefore, find out what it's there for. It's a connecting word. It connects what he's just said with what he's about to say. So he's not changing subjects. He's not now finished talking about what your heart's seeking after, and now he's going to give us some practical life lessons. This is all a living out of what He's the principle He's just taught us. Now we're talking about the principle the kingdom of God operates on, which is the opposite of the principle the kingdom of the world operates on. Okay. The world operates on the principle of I've got to take care of me first. If I know I'm taken care of, then I can make sure you're okay or other people. But I've got to make sure I'm okay first. God's principle is very different. And here's why we struggle, because we're trying to operate under this world's perverted principle. And here it is, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, do not worry about your life. Well, Pastor, you've got to understand, worry is natural. We all have to worry. No, that's the perverted principle of the kingdom of the world we bought into. This is Jesus saying this. He's talking about the kingdom of God and how it operates. Remember in the kingdom of God, you're all taken care of. Remember the kingdom of God, there's joy, there's peace, there's no fear. And ultimately, there's no sickness. The kingdom of the world, there's fear, there's shame, there's sickness and disease, there's poverty, there's lack. So do I want all those things? Then I don't want to operate in the kingdom's principles, this kingdom's principles. So in order to do that, look what he says. Do not worry. Oh, but you don't understand. I have to worry. Well, then Jesus is wrong. You can't do it then. Tell Him that. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. That means He's the boss. I can't do what you said. Even though the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's His grace to carry it out. Okay. Do not worry about your life. Remember, the principle of the world is i got to take care of my life first. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body. Now, He's not saying do not plan. You can plan and manage, but it's whether you're worried about it, that's the sign that it's got a place in your heart above Him that's the lesson here the lesson here is the litmus test you know what a litmus test is? it's the test of what's really going on other than how you feel the real test of what place God has in your heart is whether you worry about whether you're going to have enough stuff in this life getting quiet but it's the truth because Jesus said so this is how we are finding out am I operating under the perverted principle and understand why it's ingrained in us or do I have to learn to operate under a different principle that's the truth that's the place of God's peace and blessing and the sign I'm operating even though I think I'm over here the evidence of where my heart is is if I'm worrying about this we're going to find out why that's the evidence in just a minute before that he wants to give them a little lesson here look at the bird verse 26 look at the birds of the air for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns yet your heavenly father feeds them in other words he takes care of them he provides food for them are they not of more value are you not of more value than they in other words he takes care of them I've never yet seen one fall off a branch starve to death I've never heard one gasping on his last breath, because he was starving to death. Are you not more... So in other words, if he takes care of the birds, and you're more valuable to him, now he's talking about where you are in his heart. You have a higher place in his heart than the birds have. By the way, that's a sign we're also becoming perverted, because in our society, the birds have a higher place in our society's heart than people do the animals have a higher place in the hearts of people now than young children do than babies do especially in their mother's womb alright verse 27 which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature or an inch to your height so why do you worry about clothing Consider the lilies of the field, how they'll grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So he says, let's even forget about the animals. Let's look at the, just the, the nature. Look at how God decorates. Look at this beautiful day. I was out with my snowblower this morning, getting in the driveway, just marveling. God, this is so beautiful. This is just Gorgeous you need to take the time to enjoy the nature that God's put around us wow it's beautiful God and you painted this just for me this morning I know you could look on it too but he did it just for me (laughs) he's saying look look at the beautiful flowers in spring the beautiful colors and they're here today and gone tomorrow and yet Solomon was not arrayed with that kind of beauty. Wow. Some very significant people in the history of the church have gotten saved by just looking at nature. Just looking at what God did. Praise the Lord. All right. We've got to move on. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon, verse 29, and all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Look at this. Verse, it, verse 30. Now if God so clothes clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now he's talking to his disciples here if you look back at the beginning of this. For after all these things the Gentiles seek This is what this whole subject's about. He's talking about what our heart is seeking after. Because what your heart is seeking after becomes the treasure of your heart. And it doesn't happen because you sit down and say, You know what? I think I'm just going to treasure stuff. I'm just going to treasure that car that guy has. I'm going to treasure that house this person has. I'm gonna... It doesn't happen that way. Now, some, it does with some people. But where it really comes in is by worry. Well, you're not going to have enough. Now, it may not be clothing and food to you. It may be a mortgage payment. It may be having a roof over your head. It may be something else in your life. And these are not, these are, food is important, clothing is important, but it's not whether they're, you, we need them, it's what place in our heart do they have. That's the issue here. That's the issue here. And he's saying, don't you understand the Gentiles? That means the people that have no covenant relationship with God. The people that have no covenant relationship with God have no legal right to expect God to provide these things for them. But the people he's addressing this to have a covenant relationship with Him. They're His children and they have a right to expect their father to provide these for them. We're His children we're heirs of Abraham, the Bible says. Therefore, we have every right to expect our father to provide the things we're going to need because he's a loving, giving, gracious, generous father. Hallelujah. Amen. And earlier, we didn't go back that far, earlier in chapter 6, he says, don't you know that your heavenly father knows you need these things even before you ask? Why? Because he's watching over you. Amen. you. He's not just sitting in heaven saying, well, they haven't come to me, so I guess they don't need anything. He's not like us. He's watching over you all the time. In fact, he knows ahead of time things you're going to need. That's why he's prompted you to do some little things you thought, wow well, that was just me. Like, maybe give a, you know, a couple of dollars to somebody or do some little act of generosity. You have no idea when you're doing that, prompted by your heart, that that may be the Spirit of God having you sow that small seed so that over here, God can begin to meet some need over here in your life. And you don't know that they're connected, but you just follow it anyway. Because He knows what you need before you ask. He knows what you need before you ask, and this part of this lesson He's teaching, and He's waiting to provide what you need. Therefore, Why are you worried? (coughs) The reason you're worried is because you put more of your trust in those things you're worried about than trust in Him. In other words, something has come to a place in your heart that's above Him. And when it's above Him where He needs to be, it's between you and Him. So He's trying to pour His heart into your heart and we've got other things that matter to us more that are in the way, keeping His love and blessing and provision and peace flowing into our heart. So Jesus has an answer for that. And this is the verse we quote so often, but we don't have the background and the perspective that we've taken the time this morning to go through. After these things, look at this, verse 32. For after all these things, the Gentiles, that means people who have no covenant with God and therefore no right to expect He's going to do it. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But here's what you are to do. Here's the principle of the kingdom of God that you are to operate in. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Make that adjustment in your heart To put God first in every situation. To love Him first. And it's a process. You don't just do it overnight. You make the choice and the decision at one moment's time. But the rest of your life is a living out process because these things are always pulling at us. Because we're living in a foreign world. We're living in a world that operates under these perverted principles coming at us all the time. That's all advertising is based on. You need this. Why? Because they want you to buy what they're selling so it would create a need in your mind. Well, what we really need is God first in our heart. If this nation would put God first in their heart, all this would get solved. It's that simple. It's really that simple. But they don't want to hear that. They want to come up with their own answers instead of submitting to God's way. So we create our own suffering. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But notice the promise. And then all these things you need will be added unto you. So God's not saying, go without clothing, go without food, go without a house. No, all he's saying is, I want to pour these things out on you, but I've got to know I'm first. That right, yeah. these things cannot come between you and me. Right. And that's where the tithe comes in. But we'll talk about this later. Oh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. Thank you today for your goodness in our lives. Thank you that you love us so, so much. Open our eyes. Continue to open our eyes that we might see the hope of your calling. Strengthen us by your spirit in our inner man. That Christ may dwell in our heart by faith that being rooted and grounded in this love, we may come to know with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding so that we may be filled with all of your fullness. Now you're able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power of your Spirit who works within us. Pray, Father, that you would continue to open our eyes to see these principles of your kingdom we may learn to walk in them and trust them and so through that to know you better and to walk closer to you and to begin to satisfy the longing of your heart which is the only thing that's going to satisfy the longing of our heart in Jesus' name Amen